Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. This is another episode. We are very excited to have you on board and have you listening to the podcast. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. I've had a, I've had a pretty solid week. Uh, yesterday... I've actually made a new resolution that Saturdays are going to be spent doing what I'm now calling high leverage housekeeping. High leverage housekeeping. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what, what does that mean? Needless term that I <laughs> introduced into my life. Um, but instead of trying to do actual work on a Saturday, uh, I'm going to set aside Saturdays to tidy up the various bits of my life that allow me to do work. So for example, yesterday I was tidying up the way that I organize my files and my components and stuff in the de design software that I use to design my my app, essentially. Um, it's a bit like rearranging your bookshelf or tidying your desk or something. It's like the design version of that. So I was doing that so that now in the coming week when I'm doing design stuff, I can do it a lot more effectively. Okay, so you're saying that Saturday will be essentially your admin day where you're cleaning the house, doing the laundry, putting the dishes away, uh, you know, the equivalent of that. Yeah, or this. Me metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> metaphorically doing all that because our mom does all the rest for you. That, that's not true. <laughs> I, I definitely help out around the house. But yeah, that's what I was doing uh, yesterday. And yeah, it feels really good. How, how's your week been? Oh, it's been pretty good. Um, I've had... I've had four days of work on the surgery placement, which has, been, which has been pretty good. But then I've got this five days of annual leave, which is very exciting. I'm taking the time to clean the house, do the laundry, do, do, you know, take the trash out, all of that stuff. So, so to speak. So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Entirely metaphorically. Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been good. Managed to edit two videos yesterday. And now I guess we're recording this podcast. Nice. So what do you want to talk about this week? So this week, I want to talk about the idea of motivation. And I know that you're going to be annoyed about this because the, the, the word motivation sounds very self-helpy to you and you love to rail against the self-help and advice-giving industry. But I think there is something there is something here around the idea of motivation. Specifically, I want us to develop a grand unified theory of motivation, like a framework, as it were, that explains why we need motivation to do certain things, why we lack motivation to do certain things, why some people are, quote, more motivated than others. Um... All of, all of that sort of stuff. Okay, look, I'm, I'm open to this discussion. It sounds, it smells self-helpy, but based on previous podcast episodes, I think we, we both agreed and I've admitted that my hatred for self-help might be a bit misguided. And so maybe there's something worth talking about. Here. Fantastic. All right. So um, the premise I want to start off with is what I've been uh, peddling to uh, people in my email newsletters and my YouTube channel for the last two years. And that's the idea that firstly, motivation is a myth. Um, this idea comes about from an article I read on a website called whizdomination.com. Uh, <coughs> Wizdomination. Yeah, like wisdom and oh, domination. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very clever, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this article was entitled, Screw Motivation, What You Need Is Discipline. And we'll link it in the show notes if you want to have a read of it. And this was one of the few blog posts that have that's genuinely, genuinely changed my life in the sense that it was a truly paradigm-shifting moment for me when I read this and realized that I was going about things all wrong. So what this article posits is that let's imagine like a space in front of us. And in that space, on the left-hand side, we've got 
thinking that we should do something. So let's call it thinking, you know, thinking I should go to the gym. And then on the right hand side, all the way on the other side, we've got actually going to the gym. So you've got the thought and then you've got the action. And then there's like a gap in between. And what this article says is that for most of us, we would have this feeling of motivation somewhere in the middle. Like we'd have the thought I should go to the gym. But instead of just going to the gym, we would then have this middleman called motivation where we have to feel like we want to go to the gym. So the feeling like I want to do something is a middle step towards actually doing the thing. And this is how a lot of us think about motivation. We think, oh, you know, I should do some studying. Oh, I want to feel like doing studying. I want to feel like I have the motivation and then I'll actually do some studying. So what this article says is that actually this is, this is entirely the wrong way of looking at it. Instead, we should be using discipline to the point that if we think we should do something, we should just do it and not rely on motivation in the middle. And the analogy that it gives is like um, an Olympic weightlifter does not wait to be in form before they start training. They start training and then they get into form. Does that make sense? Uh, Olympic weightlifting analogies are lost on me, but I kind of get what that means, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you have the thought, I should go to the gym. You go to the gym and in, in it, like the action comes first and the motivation follows. Like you feel good about going to the gym once you've already been to the gym, as opposed to needing to feel like it before you get there. Got it. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with this. This, I mean, I've, I've sort of noticed this pattern in other parts of my life where doing the thing actually makes you want to do the thing even more. So it's not like, it's not like motivation leads to action in this one, one directional arrow. It's more of like a cycle where action leads to motivation and that leads to more action and so on. Um, and, and this is all fine. But my, my issue is that what you're essentially saying here is just just like do it man just <laughs> just do the thing how is this helpful okay so that's a really good point and that is why i wanted to have this this discussion because i can peddle the theory all i like that motivation is a myth but at the end of the day all that's really saying to people is that you know just do it and that is often not helpful advice to people who struggle with motivation you know i know i should be going to the gym i know i should be doing stretching and posture and stuff but you know even though i know that i'm i still find it difficult to do so in our quest for this grand unified theory of motivation, I think it's useful to have this idea that motivation is a myth as a, like an ideal, as it were. You know, like we, we should all be striving to get to this point where we don't even need to use the word motivation in our minds or in our lives. But actually, it's about recognizing that we're not at that point yet. This is kind of the, the holy grail, the end goal. And we need a few hacks, as it were, on our way to get there. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm happy to accept this as an ideal. Um, and actually, I think it's I think it's useful just to like try and think about and internalize that because i remember when you came across this article at some point a few months ago a year ago or something and you came out with this whole motivation is a myth thing that was actually a surprisingly good line and then every time i wanted to do something and i kind of felt like oh i don't really feel like it i don't feel motivated to do this thing then i'd think oh your sort of voice would be ringing in my head saying ah oh, motivation is a myth <laughs> you know this kind of thing <laughs> um and then i don't know if it, it definitely helped a little bit sometimes so i think yeah while this is the ideal that you shouldn't need any motivation, just trying to like internalize that can help get you out of a rut when you don't feel like doing something. All right, fantastic. So we're agreed that this is step one on our ladder on, on, or step one on the journey of developing a grand unified theory of motivation. So I propose that step two involves, oh, so having, having accepted that this is, this is an ideal, we then get to the point where we're like, okay, let's throw the ideal out of, out of the window and let's start giving some practical suggestions as to how people can sort of move towards attaining that ideal. And the way I've been thinking about it is sort of in, in, two, in two categories. Like there are two categories of thing that we can target 
in order to increase our motivation, in, in order to increase the likelihood that we're actually going to do stuff. Kind of like, you know, when you discover the mechanism of a chemical reaction or something, you can then make drugs that target that reaction at specific points. And this is how drug companies do their research. So we, the drugs that I want to propose are as follows. So firstly, you can target the action itself. And secondly, you can target the outcome. So what do, I mean, what do I mean by this? I mean, the action as in actually doing the thing. So for example, when it comes to studying, the action is, you know, physically getting your books out, getting your spreadsheets out, whatever, and actually doing the work. And a way to target that is to firstly, try and make it more pleasurable. So for example, what I used to do to work, to talk myself into actually doing some work is that I would take my bag, pack it up and go to a nice little coffee shop in Cambridge town center. And I'd say, I'd say to myself, and I'd say to myself that, you know, I can buy whatever I want. I can buy however many lattes I want. And it, it, it would be a nice little thing. Like I'd make a little day trip of it. I'd go to the coffee shop, set up my thing, take an Instagram photo, sip on a few coffees, and that would make work more pleasurable. So I'm targeting the action itself. So you're trying to make the action, the action easier to do by making it more fun. Yeah, exactly. Easier to do by making it more fun. And also an, another thing that worked for me is, you know, having my noise cancelling headphones and having my Spotify study with me playlist linked in the show notes below, uh, playing like instrumentals from film soundtracks and game soundtracks and stuff. And that all combined to make the process of studying more pleasurable, therefore made me more likely to do it. Okay. Yeah, that sounds solid. So that's step one. Like we could target the action itself. And, and the second category is targeting the outcome. So before I talk about that, I just want to take a, ste a step back and acknowledge that when it comes to motivation, we tend to not require motivation for things that give us short-term benefit. Like, you know, watching Netflix is fun. That counts as a short-term benefit. Um, we tend not to be like, oh, I need to motivate myself to sit down and watch Netflix. The categories of things we need to motivate ourselves to do tend to be the things that might be painful in the short term, but have some kind of long-term benefit. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So having decided that, we, the, the next thing we can do is target the outcome. And targeting the outcome it basically involves making the thing that you're trying to do seem more, more salient, like increasing the salience of the outcome, making it more obvious what you're trying to do. Because let's say you're in year seven and you're trying to, mo and you're trying to motivate yourself to do your homework. You know, this, this sort of ideal outcome of maybe in for 14 years time, I want to have graduated from a good university so that I can maybe get a good job. And even though the economy doesn't really work like that anymore, oh, I don't know. You know, it, it starts to, to break apart where you, you, you aren't really clear of what the outcome is. Yeah, I remember like year seven and eight and stuff. They'd always like sit us down and say, all right, you know, this is this is serious business now. This You're in secondary school now. You've got to like study two hours a day. And at the time, two hours a day seemed ridiculous. Two hours a day seemed like a hell of a lot. Uh, but actually, it's, it's not unreasonable. And yeah, I, it just seems so far away that I, yeah, I don't think anyone actually did it. And so a method of targeting the outcome is to make the outcome more salient. So some ways of doing this are when it comes to studying, I know that some people enjoy watching videos like study with me videos where you watch a study YouTuber who's at university studying and that gives you a sort of motivation, sort of like people thinking that, oh, okay, this is where I want to be. And when you have that on a video in front of you, then you think, ah, oh, okay, this is great. I now know why I'm doing my studying because I can get to that outcome. So you're making the outcome more salient. Is this kind of like getting inspiration? So I know like a lot of people follow you know, if you want to get in shape or whatever, you might follow people who have really good bodies on Instagram for fitspiration so that you're sort of regularly remi reminded. Oh, fitspiration, is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I've started doing this recently and it's just kind of, it's a regular reminder of like, oh yeah, that's where I want to be, you know, and it kind of brings the outcome a bit closer to you. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So basically the fitspiration of studying is, I suppose, you know, study YouTubers or for example, something that you used to do. Um, 
I don't know if you remember, like back in the day when you were do, when you were doing your A levels, you used to have on your on your desktop wallpaper. Oh no, not this! No, <laughs> your desktop wallpaper, uh, Tamil desktop wallpaper, was uh, a background of Oxford with the Oxford with the University of Oxford logo oh, no. at the bottom of it. How, wh- why did you do that? <laughs> Look, it's it was a long time ago. I uh, I don't remember much. Who knows if it actually happened? Uh, I think what went through my mind was essentially this thing of like, oh man, like A level exams are six eight months away or whatever i need to i need some motivation to actually get me to do some work now um and so I, th- I think the rough idea was basically that um i think it i think it worked for a bit but then it kind of sort of wore off i, I don't know how useful that was for me or, or even if it happened so okay so we've talked about how we can target the action and we talked about how we can target the outcome so that's i think step two of so far what i formulated in the grand unified theory of motivation but there's a third point to this that I wanted to get your your take on, and that's the idea of punishment. So we all know that when we get closer and closer to deadlines, that things, you know, it becomes easier to motivate ourselves to do stuff because the pain of not doing it exceeds the pain of actually having to do it. So like right. if, if, if my whole dissertation is being handed in tomorrow and I know I'm going to fail my degree if I don't hand it in tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to get it done. Like I, I just have to, there's, there's no other option. Yeah. So what I've been thinking is, are there any ways that we can hack this idea of punishment to make it work in our favor more regularly than having deadlines? And there are all these various websites that are like, you know, um, they like you would set a target for yourself that I want to lose 10 kilograms in the next three months. And if you don't hit that target, the website automatically takes away, I don't know, a thousand pounds from your debit card and donates it to the Ku Klux Klan or, you know, something ridiculous like that. So in a way, you're putting your money where your mouth is and you're forcing yourself to do the thing because you actually have genuine money on the line. Oh, yeah. Actually, in, I remember in second year, I sh- I had like a shared study with a friend of mine called Arthur and we, we sort of have separate bedrooms and then the shared living room study kind of area. Um, and we both wanted to get into like a good sleeping routine and go to bed on time and wake up early and all that stuff. Uh, so at one point we started doing this thing where every night one of us would put a fiver on like the dining table in the study. Uh, fiver meaning five pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, five of her queen's finest. <laughs> her queen's finest. I, I think that's a phrase. Her queen's finest? Her queen? Her majesty's, her majesty's finest. I feel like her majesty's finest refers to policemen. Ah, okay. Okay, no, there, uh, none of those Because in like, American TV shows, there's like uh, five of Chicago's finest. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But there's definitely a phrase. There's, an equiv- there's some, there, some there equivalent a, yeah. phrase for pounds. Anyway, we used to put five pounds on the dining table and then whoever would wake up first would be able to get the five pounds and so we did this for a while um i think it, it worked at the start but it kind of wore off quite quickly i yeah i i'm not sure it really worked for us okay why do you think it wore off because i've got a theory <laughs> i think maybe yeah maybe five pounds just wasn't significant enough yeah exactly that's my theory like the five pounds is a, a decent amount of money for the, for the first few times you do it and then you're like oh actually i can have a lion if that were for example 500 pounds would you still have felt as blasé about it no 500 pounds would have been pretty serious would have been, 500 pounds would have been enough money to get you out of bed yeah i I'd get out i'd get out of bed for 500 pounds <laughs> okay so perhaps then the idea is that we we have to make the the punishment salient for ourselves you know five pounds would be a significant amount of money to a lot of people it's it wasn't really to you and arthur at the time equally let's say for example your startup goes really well and you become a millionaire suddenly 500 pounds is not really going to seem enough money to get you out of bed you're going to want fifty thousand instead but you know you know like the point is that whatever amount of money or amount of punishment is actually significant for you right okay yeah fine so then 
the the reason I want to bring this up in this grand unified theory of motivation is because because I've been talking to a few people about this recently, and I, I I get daily messages on Instagram and via email and stuff of people being like, oh, I've got work to do, but I can't bring myself to motivate myself to do my work, or you know, I'm thinking of starting a YouTube channel, but I can't motivate my, you know, th- that genre of yeah of question. Sure. And one thing I've recently started telling people, especially on the on the studying front, you know, where 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 people being like, oh, you know, I've got I've got all these all these exams, and I just sit down and work, and then I can't I can't actually study. One thing I've been suggesting is why don't you just find a friend and give them 500 pounds up front and tell them that if there's ever a single day that you don't study or that you don't tackle tick off your goals for that day they can keep the 500 pounds and do whatever they want with it okay so i've been suggesting this to people and not a single person has replied to that particular suggestion oh man and and you know that makes me feel bad because people are replying to my messages but but also i've been saying this i've been suggesting this as a thing to people in real life that you know hypothetically why don't you just give 500, 500 quid to a mate and People always feel very uneasy about that. So the question is, why do people feel uneasy about that? Because it seems like the perfect hack, doesn't it? Like, if, if I genuinely wanted to study every single day and I was lacking the motivation, that would, you know, giving 500 quid to my housemate Molly and saying, that, Molly, you can do whatever you want this money if I don't study, that, that would make me study. So why don't, why don't more of us want to do that? Why, don't, why haven't you put your money where your mouth is? I mean, you want to, like, get your posture good and stuff. So why, don't you, why, why haven't you tried this 500 thing? Oh, no, exactly. Exactly, I haven't. And and the fact that I haven't, and the fact that every every time I think about it, I feel I feel a little bit uneasy. Like, you know, for, for people listening, if you imagine yourself, you know, have a have you know, I'm 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 sure you have some kind of goals, some kind of thing you want to do at this current point. And if you ask yourself, would I really be willing to part with five hundred thousand or well, you know, however significant amount of money you want in order to make myself achieve that goal, I imagine most of us would feel quite uneasy about it. And what I wanna get at is why why is that the case? Because it seems like a no brainer, but I, I still probably wouldn't do it. I wonder if it just comes down, I think like the underlying principle of introducing this level, this sort of pain for not doing this pain for inaction. I think that principle works, but I wonder if the difficulty and the uneasiness comes from the wrong implementation of that. So for example, if you told Molly, I want to like do my stretches for my posture every day. And if I miss a single day, then I will give you 500 pounds. I'd feel, if I were you, I'd feel uneasy about that because the fact of the matter is you you can miss a day and still be fine in the long term, you know? So that would, that would like not be a great implementation of it because you'd kind of lose 500 quid for no reason. Um, and I, I think it's probably hard to find the right implementation, right? Because ideally the implementation would be tied to the outcome. It would be like, hey, Molly, um, if I'd, if my posture it gets worse a month from now or something, I'll give you. I, I don't know. What would what would the right implementation of that be? So what I'm thinking is that um, when it comes to, for example, going to the gym, and you know, I think three days a week is a reasonable amount. So if I were to say that every week I have to go three days a week, unless there is like a you know life threatening excuse, which you know would be decided by the person I've given the money to, uh, given the money to, then Molly can keep the five hundred quid. I think that would be a reasonable impl- implementation of it. But I would still feel very uneasy about that, like. Why would I feel uneasy? Because it's it's it seems like the perfect hack. And if I could, you know, just lose, like, if if I could, you know, give a deposit of five hundred quid to essentially guarantee that I'm going to go to the gym three times a week, that 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 seems like a no brainer almost. Yeah, like if I if I if I if I told you that I can I can guarantee a year from now that you will have gone to the gym three times a week for fifty two weeks, all for the the small price of five hundred pounds, you de- you definitely you definitely do it. Yeah, absolutely. And this isn't even necessarily paying the five hundred pounds. This is just you know, depositing the 500 pounds so that you don't lose that money. Yeah. Because the pain of losing the money is obviously higher than, you know, in psychology research, the higher than the pleasure of gaining an equivalent amount. 
So then w- what I was thinking when, when these people don't reply to my Instagram messages is firstly, uh, that's not very nice, but that's fine. I, I've, I've gotten over it clearly. Um, but secondly, one thing I, w- I was wondering is that do these people really want the thing that they claim to want, right? Because there is an element of this that there's an element of the whole motivation thing that I haven't quite got my head around. And that's the idea that at any given moment in time, we are doing whatever we most want to be doing at that time. Like I could be saying, oh, I kind of want to go to the gym. I wish I was going to the gym. But for the most part, I would just be paying lip service to that. I'd just be complaining for no reason. I don't actually want to go to the gym because surely if I actually wanted to be at the gym, I would be at the gym, right? I feel like that's kind of harsh. And I, I think we're, so, we're sort of running into the limitations of language here because uh, there's different kinds of wants, right? There's the want of like, oh, I know there's, there's actually a bag of Doritos in the cupboard over there and I'd, I'd really like to eat that right now. That's, that's one kind of want. And then there's more of a long-term, bigger scale want of like, I want to be in good physical health when I'm 50 or something, you know? Um, and like, it's, it's reasonable for me to say, I want to be in good physical health when I'm 50, even if I'm not doing anything about it now. Um, but it's a very, it's a different kind of one. It's on a different timescale and magnitude than the want of me wanting to eat the bag of Doritos in the cupboard. And so it feels a bit uncharitable for you to say that just because people aren't acting on their long-term wants, that means that they actually don't want these things in the long term. That seems kind of harsh. Okay, yeah, I know. I agree. That seems kind of harsh, which is why I want to tie into this grand unified theory of motivation to figure out what is, like, what's the cause of this, this inaction for our long-term benefit? What, what was the conclusion about the money thing? I feel like we haven't put that to bed. I think the conclusion about the money thing, so like, I'm, I'm genuinely thinking about, <laughs> about, about, about doing this with, with regards to going to the gym. But then the other side of it is that I'm thinking that, like, you know, if I actually wanted to go to the gym three times a week, I, I, I just would go to the gym three, three times a week. I, I feel like I've developed the motivation, discipline, muscle enough in other areas of my life that, you know, if, if I really wanted to, I'd, I'd do it. You know, just like my email newsletter, I don't need to give Molly a thousand pounds when I don't send out the email newsletter because I, I just will. I, I know I will send out an email newsletter every single Sunday and have been for the last 57 weeks. Like, I kind of feel like I don't need it. But I also kind of feel that perhaps, oh, I don't know. It's tricky because I know because uh, I know that going to the gym three times a week is going to be in my in my long term interest, but I also don't really want to do it. <laughs> so how how do we how do we get around this? With regards to the newsletter thing, how much would you have to be paid not to send the newsletter out on a given week? Because that can kind that's kind of an estimate for how much the newsletter is worth t- to you. I don't think so. I mean, if you offered me ten quid for not sending in the, the newsletter, I wouldn't take that. But if you offered me 500 quid for not sending the newsletter then you know uh everyone's got their price (laughs) (laughs) okay so for the but but i'm not i'm not sure that's a valid entirely valid way of looking at it because i recognize that actually i could just miss a week of the email newsletter i could get 500 quid and that'd be pretty great like it's it's not quite the same as i shouldn't i shouldn't miss a week therefore i will lose 500 quid yeah because losing 500 quid would be more painful to me than Yeah, yeah yeah So yeah, I'm not sure where the uneasiness comes from in the money thing. I think it's just because it's the idea of potentially losing money and we don't want to lose money, which is a very short-term pain in order to gain a long-term benefit of our health. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try this and, I, and then I'll report back. Oh, and this might, be, this might even be a fun YouTube video to make. Um, <laughs> um, I will give 500 pounds or 1,000 pounds or whatever to someone that I know and tell them to keep the money if I don't manage to go to the gym three times a week. How does that sound? I'll happily take the position on the other side of this and uh, take the money. <laughs> Fine, let's do it. All right, cool. So we're sorted. Um, so that's the the punishment side of things. I, yeah, I, I think because because 
we've never tried this. Like I've, n- I've never tried this before. I just have this kind of borderline fear, borderline feeling of uneasiness about it. Um, but having now committed to it, I guess I'm going to be going to the gym three times a week. Otherwise, someone I know is going gonna, gonna to be a very happy person. Nice. Yeah, I guess we'll report back with how that turns out. So it's, it seems like in, in this quest for like this grand unifying theory, what we're, we're, you know, we understand that the ideal is not to need motivation to do something. Um, but we, we, we're accepting that that's hard to achieve. And so we're trying to approximate towards that ideal by, for example, making the process of doing something more pleasurable or making the process of not doing something more painful um, or bringing the outcome of doing something a bit closer to home. Uh, so the, I guess these are all ways of like approximating towards the ideal of not needing the motivation because you're kind of circumventing the motivation bit. Um, I, I found that one another good way of approximating the motivation thing is to kind uh, yeah, I found that I'm, I'm most compelled to do something when I want to be like someone who does it. So I've, I found the whole gym thing quite hard ever since I was about 18 and, and started caring about this stuff. Um, but I think the turning point for me was about a year ago when I met a group of people on a low social optionality group holiday, see episode three. Um, I met this group of people and they were like really sporty and really physically fit. Um, and that kind of that kind yeah that sort of flicked a switch in my mind and i suddenly was able to tr- start doing this fitness thing a lot more consistently um and i think I, d- I didn't make the process more pleasurable i didn't really make the outcome more close to home but i just want to, yeah i think it's almost like a social thing of wanting to be like certain people in certain ways that was quite dare i say motivating so um, in James Clear's Atomic Habits, and also in, in a related book called The Power of Habit, which was released like a few decades ago, I think, they talk about this idea of um, the ideal habits and, and in a way the motivation to make habits stick comes down to when things become part of our identity. So instead of, for example, thinking of just going to the gym, I would instead think that this is working towards me being a healthy person. And because I'm a healthy person, healthy people then go to the gym. So it sounds like this is sort of what you're saying that it's it's more about being rather than doing. Yeah, I th- I think I think that's kind of in the same area of, of what I'm talking about. Okay, so how do how do we tie that into our, our our grand unified theory? I mean, is the being thing kind of similar to the outcome? It's like bring the outcome closer because the outcome is like this identity of like I'm I am now the gym goer. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think it is. I think that would fall under the sort of salience of the outcome. Yeah. And you can trick yourself into making that more salient by acting as if you are a gym goer, acting as if you're the sort of person who goes to the gym. Um, it sort of ties into the whole thing about confidence, that if you don't have confidence about something, a, a hack that a lot of people find helpful, that I've certainly found helpful, is just acting as if I'm the sort of person who, who does that thing. Yeah. And thinking about it as a, you know, I'm, I'm playing the role of someone who is confident, you realize that there's actually no difference between real confidence and fake confidence, and eventually, you know, you don't need to act anymore because you are confident. Um, I suppose it's kind of like that at the gym. Like you, you can pretend that you are a healthy person who goes to the gym and the sort of person who lives that kind of lifestyle. And then eventually you, you become it and therefore you don't need to pretend anymore. Yeah, it's a bit like method acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's one last point about about this thing about motivation that um, I think needs to, needs to come here somewhere is that often when people say, and, and certainly back in the day when I used to say, oh, I need, to, I need to revise chemistry, but I don't have the motivation. A big part of that was that I didn't know where to begin. Like I knew I, I, I would have this, this sort of abstract notion of the chemistry syllabus in my head, but I just wouldn't know what I need to do and how to start and, 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 and all that stuff. And I noticed that 
in my third year of university, that was when I peaked in terms of exam performance and in terms of really actively studying every single day in exam term for like 14 hours a day, you know, like fully going overboard with that stuff. It's because I had a plan to the point that I, I didn't need to think about what to do. I just knew that I'd spend spend the first half of my day or however, however long it took redrawing my spider diagrams for some of my essays based on my retrospective revision timetable. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes if you want to check the video out on that. Um, and then I also knew I'd spend the rest of the day just browsing, just blitzing through my flashcards on Anki, which is a flashcard app. So in a way, the cognitive overload of st- of starting studying was very low and therefore I was able to do it much more often. And I suspect that this is a big part of why people message and or, or people complain to their friends, be like, oh, you know, I struggle with the motivation to do my GCSE history because you don't really know where to start. Ah, okay. So is it, uh, this sounds like you're kind of reducing the the friction of doing the activity itself um, because in, instead of like having to sit down and figure out what to do, if you have that already laid out for you, then you can just get started. I, I guess it's, Okay, let me ask you this. If you had like an extra bedroom in your house with like a fully kitted out gym, would you go to the gym three times a week? Oh yeah, easy. It's super easy to go to the gym three times a week when it's just downstairs or in your bedroom. Like that would have been reducing the friction to the point that I, I might as well just do it. Yeah. So I suppose that acts on the on the action bit of it, that making making the action pleasurable, part of that is also make, like, reducing the friction to the point that it's so easy to do that you might as well just do it. Yeah. And like, I guess studying is a bit different than going to the gym because anyone can, you know, any of us can just sit down and study wherever we are. But the friction doesn't come from the fact that you need to go somewhere. The friction comes from like the cognitive effort that it takes to, to get started. And so what you're saying is if you plan things out correctly and like, let's say hypothetically, you'd planned out all your exam revision in like 15 minute chunks of work. And the process of revising just consisted of like sitting at your desk, taking a 15 minute chunk, doing it, maybe having a short break and then doing the next one, kind of like the Pomodoro thing. If, if you, you could theoretically arrange all your revision into, the, into these 15 minute chunks, then it would be kind of be like having a gym in your house where you just show up and start doing the activities and there's no like effort required to start. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I'm not a fan of planning out the revision, you know, in a sort of so far in advance, but I, I take your point that this is just a theoretical yeah, sort of, yeah. sort of constru- construct. Um, this is exactly why I think um, that the first step of any, of studying for any subject is, is what we call scoping the subject, where you sit down and you like make a list of every single topic within that and break it down into manageable chunks such that on a given day, if you want to study that subject, you just sit down, you pick the topic that you're least good at and you just do it. Um, and that reduces the cognitive friction to actually studying and that makes us far more likely to actually do it. Yeah, and when I think back to like knowledge work that I've done in the past, so when I had like a a job as a data scientist, the best times were always when we'd like scoped out the week's work really well um, and planned it out really accurately. And then during the week, you can just like execute on that plan. Uh, the, The bits that weren't so fun were when there was a lot of uncertainty around what we were actually meant to be doing or like how to approach something. So I think there's almost two two different modes, one in which you sort of plan things out and figure out how to do them, and then another mode in which you actually execute on that plan. So this is very similar, I suppose, intentionally to your pilot and the plane article. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and then we'll wrap up? Yeah, that was a blog post I wrote about a year ago, just over a year ago. Um, I think, yeah, that was when I vowed that I want to start writing more regularly, and that was like the first thing I wrote. Uh, that essentially, there are, there are moments 
in our day when we have when we have a lot a lot of like clarity we can sort of think in the long term and you know we can see the bigger picture and stuff and we should use these moments to plan out what we do in the rest of the day um so for example on my commute to and from work that was kind of like isolated time for me where it was like 20 minutes each each way where i could just like think about stuff and and see my life in in the grand perspective and think okay what do i want to do this evening what do i want to do tomorrow and so on um and so that was kind of my my planning time where I was the pilot sort of dictating where the plane should go. And then during the rest of the time, like when I got home in the evening, I was just the plane and I was just like driving along the path that the pilot has set out. Whereas if I hadn't, didn't have a plan and I came home one evening, it's so easy just to like not end up doing anything because you haven't really planned it. Um, so yeah, thinking of planning and executing as very separate modes of, uh, of activity, I think has been helpful for me. Okay, awesome. So I think we'll wrap up there. Um, I guess, oh, Tutemo, do, 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 do you want to give us a summary of the, the Grand Unified Theory of Motivation so far in your own words? And then we'll work out where the gaps are and then we'll try and get uh, some advice from our, our fellow listeners. Fellow listeners, our listeners. Okay, so I, it, from what you're saying, it seems like the starting point of this theory is to accept the fact that motivation is a myth. That, you know, the ideal scenario is that we, we think... we we want to do something and we actually just do that thing rather than having this in-between step of feeling like we should do it or you know, feeling motivated to do it. So motivation is a myth and actually discipline is what you need. Um, and actually just internalizing this fact is useful because then the next time you kind of feel like, oh, I don't really feel like doing this thing. Or I don't really feel motivated. Then you can think back to this and think, oh, actually that doesn't really exist. I should just do it. Um, however, it's not it's not too useful. And so we still need the uh, the hacks that Ali's a big fan of. Um, and there's sort of two categories of these, I guess. The first is regarding the actual action that you need to do. Uh, so to make it easier to do the thing you need to do, you can make it more pleasurable to do the action. So Ali, Ali sort of used to go to a coffee shop and buy some lattes and have a nice Spotify playlist when he was studying. Um, so that it just made the, the process a lot more pleasurable. Um, and the other side to that coin is that you could make the process of inaction less pleasurable. So for example, giving, you know, having a deal with your friend that you have to pay them a bunch of money if you don't do something that would make not doing it more painful and so it might actually push you towards doing it. So that's the action side. Uh, and then I guess the other side is making the outcome more salient. So like a lot of the things that we want to do are quite long-term things with no short-term payoffs, like, you know, studying for exams that are many months away or years away or going to the gym, which, you know, pays off on the time frame of months or years. Bringing that outcome closer to you can kind of inspire you into action, I guess. Um, and yeah, good ways to do that are like, you know, watching a YouTube study with me video by Ali Abdal before you sit down to study yes. or following like, you know, people with good bodies on Instagram to regularly remind you of like, oh, that's where I want to be, that kind of thing. Um, and then we also had this piece about planning and sort of operating in two, in, in two different modes where you spend some time up front to plan out what you need to do so that there's very little friction when it comes to actually doing it. Oh yeah, I guess it's reducing friction is really what this final piece is. Cool, yeah, that sounds like a pretty reasonable summary. Um, I think there are still a few a few bits and bobs in this Grand Unified Theory of Motivation that we haven't quite, like for, like for example, this thing about planning, it, it doesn't quite fit on, it doesn't quite map onto this, yeah. onto this theory yet. But 
you know, if you guys have any thoughts about about motivation and things that motivate you, things that mean that you can bypass requiring motivation in the first place, do please send us an email at hi at notoverthinking.com. That's H-I. Although I suppose if they, we have a wilder card set up, so anything. Yeah, anything at notoverthinking.com. Yeah, that actually so, work. So please do send us an email. Um, we definitely do want to be featuring people's responses. I think one of the ideas that I had is that, for example, every four episodes, I, every month, we would do a roundup episode where we sort of spend 10 minutes just talking about the four things that we discussed that month and then kind of putting in viewer feedback, like putting in audience feedback into there to try and develop the theory a bit more. Um, we're definitely going to try and doing that. So if you want to send us like an audio clip or something, uh, just like record something on your phone and send it in or just, you know, write something and send it our way, that would, that would be really awesome. Yeah, that would be great. We, we actually had an email from someone suggesting that we sort of pick back up on the topics we've discussed previously because... Yeah, and uh, in, in all these topics, these are just sort of the start of conversations about them. Um, and it will be good to like take these conversations further with other people. Absolutely. So final segment, uh, I did it last week. Tamar, what's your funny insight of the week or funny thing that you discovered this week? Funny thing that I discovered this week. Um, I guess this is an insight relating to funny things, but I, I've sort of noticed that the things I find funniest are the things that are sort of, very very niche that few people would get so the things jokes about like intersections of some of your your personal interests i find that those are a lot funnier almost because of the fact that few people get it so i remember back yeah around third fourth year of university uh these like subject-based meme pages were really taking off on facebook where like you basically had to had to have been studying the subject at university to get these memes and that's quite like a niche thing you know like university level maths memes or like university level clinical school memes you know and the fact that they're, they're quite niche just makes it a lot funnier for some reason um so i know there was a tweet that i saw yesterday uh on twitter uh where essentially there's this phenomenon at the moment in a lot of cities where there's sort of scooters that you can rent via an app, right? Uh, so this is really big in the Bay Area. It's really big in Paris. Uh, London had them at some point and then they got banned, but I think they're figuring out some regulation. Um, anyway, so some new like scooter company launched. There's a bunch of these now. They're all basically the same. And some guy tweeted sort of sarcastically, uh, this guy was like a venture capitalist, like a, a tech investor who might invest in a scooter company. And he, and he tweeted that, I wonder what the PowerPoint slide looked like uh, in their sort of investment deck where they, they looked at the competition. Uh, and he sort of drew this chart of like, uh, with sort of two axes. One of the axes was can hold your drink versus can't hold your drink. And the other axis was big wheels versus small wheels. And he kind of put all the various scooter companies along these two axes. Uh, and as it turned out, this new scooter company that popped up came out on top because it had big big wheels and can hold your drink. Uh, and so this, this, and this sounds really stupid, but I just thought it was really funny that someone went through the effort of making such a niche joke, specifically about like investing in scooter companies. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it had about 30 likes. It had barely any likes when I saw it. I don't think it has many now, but I just thought it was hilarious, probably because it was so niche. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. The whole meme page thing, especially. Yeah, maybe that's more relatable. <laughs> cool. So thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Not Overthinking, where we talked about motivation. Again, if you have any uh, advice, any thoughts, feedback, please do send us your comments at hi at notoverthinking.com. Also, uh, if you're on an iOS device of any description, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. That would help more people discover the podcast and that would go some way. If you leave a nice review, it'll counteract some of the few one-star ratings we got, um, <laughs> which... 
which were quite funny. Anyway, uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.